Uh, welcome to FBC. Excited that we get to worship our faithful God together. If you're visiting, I'm looking around during the summer. Um, thanks for being here. A lot of people are gone for cherries, but glad you're here. But I, I want to take this opportunity. I want to pray over Elena over here. Um, she gave her testimony what God is doing, and we can't leave, have her leave without us praying over her. And I mean, as a family, you guys believe God's faithful and his promises are true. And this is hard on mom and dad. Um, but Elena is going to be able to teach science in a closed country, and she's going to be able to do it and share the gospel as well. So it's just an amazing opportunity she has. So everybody just put your hands out towards Elena, and let's pray over her. Can I sneak in here? All right, Father, we are so grateful for this young lady, for the deep faith that she has, and now this opportunity. I know she mentioned that uh, she really started pursuing it in her sophomore year, but you've laid China on her heart for many, many, many years. And uh, it's kind of scared her for a while, scared her parents. But God, now we're at the moment where you've guided, you've opened up this door, you provided this incredible opportunity with pay um, and this awesome um, instant, uh, this, this program that she's going to be a part of. And not only English, but she's going to get to teach biology her love, her family's love. So use her in a great way. Allow many opportunities for the gospel to be shared during this. And Father, I pray for good friends for her right away, that uh, there will be godly women and men that come around her. Allow her to find some type of church there, whatever that might look like. And Father, we promise to pray. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So do, do, do pray for her. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, and I just want to come back to this table as this represents during our whole series that the book of Galatians was written by Paul for a particular group of people to the Galatian church, but for us as well in 2023. So it doesn't take long in life to realize that you can see things differently than maybe somebody else does, right? Go to a Michigan-Michigan State football game. A call happens on the field. Half the people will be excited. Half the people will be upset. Uh, last night, um, I had a busy day. I got home really late, and my family's in Chicago. So I said, hey, I can quick go catch the last hour bite of salmon on Lake Michigan. Got to the launch, completely packed. One boat was leaving, so I waited. Then the boat before me, or that was leaving, argued with another guy how to launch a boat for like 10 minutes. I'm like, the sun's going down, I need to fish. Um, but, but they saw things differently. We know, what, we know what we believe and what we think. And often it raises kind of things to a, to a new level. Maybe there's an ethical thing. Maybe there's a political thing, a, a religious thing, a family thing. Wh whatever it is, there are some things in our life, though, that we have to just say we need to agree to disagree, right? How many have done that? Stace and I, the older we get, we constantly, okay, we're going to agree to disagree on this. And it's a good thing. But there are areas that ratchet it up and are like, I think I need to weigh in on here. This is so important, I need to weigh in. It's different for everybody, different topics, different issues, but we all have those areas, areas correct, in your life? You're like, I just need to speak up. For the Apostle Paul, that area was very, very clear. 
He had to weigh in. He could not stay quiet about it. And it was the gospel. It was about how people come to be made right with God and how they become, truly become the people of God. And as we've been studying Galatians now for 10 weeks, we have seen Paul preach this wonderful message over and over, the gospel to the southern Galatian churches. Not just one church, but all the churches, which is modern-day Turkey. He told this predominantly Gentile area that, you know what, you guys as Gentiles can be part of the people of God too, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him. So then after he shared that, got the churches established, he left. And he left to go share this good news with other people. And as he left, some missionaries from Jerusalem came up to Galatia, to the churches there, and said, what Paul has been telling you is only part of the gospel. To really be the people of God, you, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to eat right. You've got to keep the law. You've got to have certain days. And Paul heard this, and he was astonished. He, he, he said, I have to weigh in on this. So what is he is addressing, and what is he continue to address as we read through the book of Galatians is this very simple concept that we've all heard about, but yet is very complex as well. Are we made right with God by faith, or are we made right with God by faithfulness? Which one is it? Paul believed the only way for us to be made right with God was by faith. But there were other people that came into the church and said, you can be made right by your faithfulness. Like, if you don't keep the law or if you don't do the things God has called to you, then, then how can you really be called the people of God? So Paul is dealing with this issue. And it's not only an issue for that day, it's important for this day and age as well. How do we know we are right with God? How do we know that our relationship with God is secure? How do we know our relationship with God is what it needs to be and what God wants it to be? This is what Paul is dealing with in the verses that we're going to look at in chapter 3 today. So two weeks ago, we started chapter 3. And last week, Jordan was here and did a phenomenal job. If you haven't heard that message, go back and look at it and listen to it. But two weeks ago, we started chapter 3. And he started chapter 3 with these words. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's saying, you knew and believed the gospel when I was with you. But now... I have left. These people have come in and you're adding to the gospel. Come on. Don't you trust Jesus? Do, do you trust what he has done or do you got to keep adding to it? So we're going to pick up the text in Galatians chapter 3 and we're going to go through um, 18 today. So I would, I would like you to stand up as we read about this complicated swirl of faith or faithfulness. We start at verse 10 out of the ESV version. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say that the offsprings have according to one and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abram by a promise. So Father, there's some heavy concepts, some heavy truths in this passage today. So may our minds may not be distracted by the things of the world or by the heat or the things that are happening around us, but may we be fully concentrated on your words here in this passage. Father, we want to know you better. We want to be fully formed in you as we grow and grow into the likeness of you. So, Father, use these words this morning. May the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, for you are my rock and my redeemer. It's your name we pray. Amen. You may take a seat. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time just going word, word by word, section by section through this. So he starts out, Paul does, in verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written. Paul, Paul's not taking on the law here as if the law is a bad, bad thing. He's saying, he's saying, if our reliance is being made right with God on performance or on the things that we do, if our salvation is based on the law, then we're under a curse. Now, Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees, and he's saying that to rely on the law, you are under a curse. That's a big deal, because he understood the law, he knew the law, he lived the law, he persecuted people because of the law. But So, so how does that work then? How does that put you under the, uh, a curse? Because being under a curse is a big deal, isn't it? Especially if the curse is from God. We got to pay attention. Paul tells us how it works because he says it is written. So we're going to see, I think, four or five times from this passage, Paul goes back to the Old Testament. And Paul is going to show how this story, this narrative, just did not happen. God was not like, I'll call Abraham, and then he won't be able to do it. So uh, then I'll form the Israelites, and that didn't work. And then I'll have the church, and uh, that's not going to work. No, there is a thread of redemption from Genesis all the way through the scriptures. From Genesis, from the beginning of time, all the way through the end of time. Which will never happen, I guess. All the way through when we're with Christ. God's not fumbling around. He's not trying to figure out, how do I make a people for myself? He's had a plan all along, and Paul's going to show us that today. 
So he quotes first from Deuteronomy 27. And this is what Moses said to the people of Israel. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and, and, and do them. So that's a strong claim. If, if you don't live by the book of the law and you trip up every once in a while, you're in trouble. To make this really simple, Moses did this blessing and, and cursing thing with the, with the people of Israel. And this is how Paul would have seen it. Obedience leads to blessing and disobedience leads to curse. He would say that if everybody can obey the law, never have any issue with it at all, never trip up for any, throughout our entire life, then you're blessed. But you already know you blew it as a child, right? You guys all blow it as a child? Even as a baby, even as an adult, somebody has put yourself, somebody takes your pacifier as, as a kid and you're like, oh, here, have another one. No, you throw a tantrum and you become selfish. We all know that these things are within us that we struggle with. We're, we're, we're not perfect. We can't do it. And Paul is, here's the reality. If you're obedient in every way, you're blessed. But if for some reason you're not, and we're not, we're cursed. So applicationally speaking, if we can't do everything under the law, we are under a curse. Can we? Can we? No, we can't. So we're cursed. We're under a curse. Paul's saying this is really simple. If we rely on the works of the law, you are cursed. Make sense? All right. Furthermore, in verse 11, he says this. Now it is evident. Here, here's some proof for you. If you got questions, some evidence to, so that you can see what I'm telling you is true because you didn't believe. You changed your mind after I left. Now this is true. Now it is evident that no one is justified. And we, if, if you're not clear on what being justified is, go back to chapter 2. We hit it hard. But let's make it simple. Your sins are forgiven. More simple. You're made right with God. More simple. You will spend eternity with Christ forever and ever, ever if you are justified with God. And that's exciting. Paul says it is evident that no one is justified before God by the what? By the law. You cannot be right with God. You cannot be forgiven because you cannot keep every part of the law that God gave. So you're cursed. And next week, we'll talk about why God gave that law. We'll d d dive into that. Now, I want you to think back to Habakkuk, an Old Testament prophet, because that's the next person that he quotes. This prophet from the Old Testament, he's, he's crying out to God. Listen, this might be familiar. Why are you allowing these things to happen in the world? Everybody ever say that? Why is this going in my, in, in, in my life? Even thousands of years ago, they were asking this question. The people of God were asking this question. This is why the Psalms are the most read book of the Bible that there is. We can relate to it. It's, it's so raw. God, where are you at? I, I'm trying down here, and, and, and it doesn't seem like you're up there. Are you listening? Do you know what's happening? Paul says, it is evident 
that you cannot be justified by the law because even Habakkuk says the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. He does not say the righteous shall live by faithfulness. That's what they would do in the, in the Old Testament and even the Pharisees of Jesus' day and even people today, they thought the more loyal I am to the law, the more God would do things for me. We fall into that trap, don't we? At least I know I do. If I could just pray a little more, read a little more, do a little more. Oh, don't miss church. Then maybe God would do more for me. It's, it's like a cosmic slot machine up in the sky. Put a little bit in, get a little bit out. Put a little bit more in, get even a bigger reward out. More blessings. Then after a while, we start to think, the things going on in my life are in a direct correlation to what I'm putting into it. And sometimes I put in enough, and sometimes I don't. And we play these mental gymnastics in our mind. And Paul says, no! It's not evident that you can be justified any other way than by faith. And then once you're justified, then you live by faithfulness. And he goes back to Habakkuk here. Habakkuk realized this. He said, if I'm going to live this out, it needs to begin with faith. And the faithfulness of God. And then I can live by faith. Verse 12. But the law is not of what? The law is not of faith. Paul, why is that not the case? And he says, let me show you out of the Old Testament again. Leviticus chapter 18. He keeps quoting the Old Testament. He, knew, he keeps doing it because he's like, you people know these passages. You're, you're the people of God. You're supposed to be. You know what's back there. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. The law is all about being faithful. But the problem is we can't be faithful because we have an inherent issue. We have an inherent problem. We tend to want to do things that we should not do. Ever notice that about your life? There's things that we say, things that we do that I can't believe. Oh, I just did that. Oh, man. Stuck my foot in my mouth again. I looked at that on my phone again. Paul says, hey, listen, it's not by faith. It's, it's, it's by faith. It's not by faithfulness. And listen to what he says next, because this is huge. Read the first two words with me. Christ, three words. Christ redeemed us. Now personalized it. Christ redeemed me. Say that. Christ redeemed me. In the, in the first century, you could buy or redeem somebody out of slave, slavery. Paul will say, if you're wanting to be under the law, if you keep do, 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 you're a slave. It's a tyranny that we can never, ever escape from. He says, Christ redeemed me. He redeemed you. He's paid the price for you and me. He bought us. He redeemed us. What did he redeem us from? What did he redeem us from? I know it's hot, but this passage just lays it out clear. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
And what's the curse of the law? Keeping it. You and I cannot keep it. Can't do it. Christ is the only one that could. Paul is very specific here, and context matters. I've studied Galatians many times in my life, but as I've studied these last 10 weeks, the context changes it. You've got to understand the context. And Paul is saying, listen, there's a problem in you and me. We cannot keep the law, and the reason we can't keep it is because it's sin. Paul, there's sin involved. And Paul tells us that over and over again. Sin is what separates us from God. You cannot be good enough because of sin. And nobody likes that word. But without Jesus, you are cursed because of sin. That is the truth. Complete truth. So Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do that? Is a question I ask myself. By becoming a curse for us. Really? God's son became a curse? Yes. Back in chapter 2, we talked about the imputation of the righteousness of God into our lives. We talked about the fact that God has given us what Christ has. We're righteous. We're holy. Because it was all imputed to us. Imputed to us. If we believe in faith. So here's an example that might help make sense. Picture your life. You have this spiritual bank account. Because of sin, this spiritual bank account is overdrawn. It's broken. It doesn't work. Somebody comes into town. A stranger. He says, I'm going to deposit into your account all these things. And we're like, yeah, look it. I'll take it. Paul says here, this is what happened. We're all under a curse. We can't keep the law because we cannot do it because of sin. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by taking on the curse himself. So that we could receive the blessing of righteousness. This is where the phrase substitutionary atonement comes in. Jesus was a substitution for you and me that God required. You and I deserve the penalties of sin. You and I deserve death. You and I deserve to go to the cross. But God sent his son to redeem us. Jesus has become the curse for you and me. Have I hit that hard enough? But that's what the passage says. Jesus died for you and I so that we could be redeemed. There's no hamster wheel to get on. Christianity does not start with what I have done, but what Christ has done. And that's it. So then he goes on and he gives us reasons why God sent Jesus to be the curse for us. Verse 14. So, for, verse 14. It says this. So that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All right. So for the Jews again. They're thinking they are the promised people. They get it all. And Paul's saying, uh-uh. It's for everyone. It's for the Gentiles. Remember two weeks ago, we saw the Spirit for the first time? And we're going to see Spirit come every single week. The Spirit of God, once you receive Christ, is for everybody. 
doesn't matter if you're poor or rich, young or old. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you get the Spirit of God through what? Through faith. Through faith. So now Paul shifts his argument a little bit. And he gives them something that they understand. He's like, okay, this has been kind of heady. Now watch in verse 15. To give a human example, he says, brothers and sisters, even a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Okay, so they understood covenant clearly. They were the people of the covenant. Whenever they made a covenant, what they would do is they would take an animal, or maybe more than one animal, and they, they, would, they would slice the animal in half. I know it's disgusting, but there's a lot of that in the Bible. They'd slice it in half, and they'd put the animals on both sides. And then the blood would pool up, and then the two people making a covenant would walk through the middle of these animals, and they would stomp in the blood. And as they're stomping that blood all over them and maybe some of the witnesses, and they would say, if what happens... No, they would say, if, if, this co- if I break this covenant, if I change this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. Peyton, if I would have done that, if you would have done that at your wedding, people would have looked, right? Last week, outside on the farm. But that's essentially what you were doing. You are making a covenant. And you're saying, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I break the covenant. In Genesis 15, God comes to Abraham and and he says, we're going to cut a covenant. Abraham goes and severs the animal. He makes a pathway. God puts Abraham to the side and he walks through himself. And he stomps in the blood. He's saying, because I know you can't do it, Abraham, but I can do it. And I'm going to keep this covenant. And it's going to be about me. All you have to do is put your faith in the faithfulness of my son, Jesus. And then live your life in faithfulness. It's not our faithfulness. It's the faithfulness of God that we put our faith in. Paul says, Paul says you people understand this with the covenant. Now live out of that. No one's going to change this covenant. God's not going to break the covenant ever. It's a promise. And his promises are what? Yes and Thank you for singing that, Pastor Dave, and leading that. Yes and amen. All right, verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. Offspring here. um, First of all, who made this promise? God did, yep. The offspring, if you read on other texts, other versions, it'll say seed. Greek word is seed here. It does not say, and to the offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. The word seed or offspring is singular. And to your offspring, who is what? Christ. Jesus Christ is the promised seed. The blessings of all nations is Christ. And if you're in Christ, you are in Abraham. And if you're in Abraham... You are made righteous by what? Faith. So then you are the people of God. So now put yourself in the Jews' shoes, okay? They've always believed that they were the people of God. 
That's what they were taught. That's what they believed. That's what everything they, they did were for that. But now Paul is saying, it's not offsprings, it's offspring. It's singular. It's Christ. So that means Abraham's covenant, his blessing, was all about Christ, not a particular group of people. And their mind would be like, Whoa, what's going on here? No wonder they sent people up from Jerusalem to check out what Paul was teaching. Because it changed everything in their life. It changed how they did everything. It changes our lives too. If we get this principle right, it changes how we read the New Testament. It changes how we do eschatology. So you can understand why Paul was so controversial. Then 17. Next one, thank you. This is what I mean, the law which came 430 years after. So the law came 430 years after the covenant was formed. No way can the law justify you. It came after. The threat of redemption was seamless all the way through Scripture. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promises void. God promised Abraham something. He did not need the law to do it. He promises Abraham something. It's true for us today as well. Verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So circle that word inheritance in your Bible because we're going to see that word over and over over the next few weeks. Our blessing is to be a one worldwide family, the church in Christ that blesses the nations. That's the promise, that through Christ, God is going to build his kingdom. So one thing I want to do before we move into communion is I want to settle what it means to be the people of God. How are we made right with God? This is honestly, I could preach on many, many things. But knowing that you are made right with God is the most important thing that I can be talking about. The scripture is very clear. We are born with a sin issue. You are separated from God because of sin. None of us like to hear that. What about my neighbor? Have you seen how he lives? This is not your, about your neighbor. This is about the infinite holy God and your relationship with the infinite holy God. Nobody else's. Because of sin, there's a chasm between you and God. And there has to be a bridge. God would not leave his people on their own. There has to be something to create a way to be made right with God. So let's go in our minds, or if you have your Bibles, to Acts chapter 16, to the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas are in prison for disturbing the city. Paul had just cast a demon out of a slave girl. And they, Paul and Silas would not stop talking about Jesus. So they brought him in, they beat him, they threw him in prison, they chained him. And they kept singing about Jesus. They kept talking about Jesus. At midnight, the doors of the jail flew wide open. 
An earthquake had happened. The shackles came off of all of them. They continue to sing. The jailer thinks, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose my job and my life because these prisoners escaped. He looks in there, and there's every one of the inmates still there. Put put yourself in their shoes. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't dare run. I mean, this God is so big. Look what he just did. So then Paul, uh, then, then this jailer, this jailer, he asks the next question. Sirs, next slide please, what must I do to be saved? I, I just need that answer. I know you guys are preaching Jesus and talking about Jesus and singing about Jesus. I need to have whatever you have. And most of us, Know the answer, right? Go to church regularly, give, pray, make sure you have all the ethical and moral issues down so you know how to properly vote. Say the pledge when asked. Don't watch R-rated movies. Surely don't have a beer with pizza on Saturday night. I say these to cut under some skin because this is what we are told. This is what your neighbors think. I did not grow up in a Baptist church. And I was flabbergasted when I told people that I was going to a Baptist church because their first response when I would tell them that, oh, then you're one of those that don't dance or chew or goes with girls who do. And I said, what nonsense? Is this what we want to be known for? I've even heard it come from people in this church. I want to be known for Jesus. For the gospel. Yes, we need to be faithful in how we live. We need to live for Christ as we're being sanctified. But I want my life to be pointing towards Jesus. That's what I want this church to be about. So here's the real answer that Paul and Silas gave him in Acts 16.31. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But, but pastor, what, what does the next verse say after? There's got to be things that I can do. No. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John three sixteen, a familiar verse. For God so loved the world that whoever that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their trust in him, whoever puts their faith in his faithfulness should not perish but have eternal life. But pastor, I know people that have trusted, said they trusted him, but they don't read the Bible like I read the Bible. That's not how we get in. That's not entry. The entry is Jesus. But I watch the news and I just don't, I don't like those people. You and I are not the standard of the gospel. We do not determine who Jesus lets in or lets not lets in. It's clear what the standard is. God's determined that. And he says, you are only made right when you believe me, when you trust me. When you say, God, I need you in my life. I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus died and he rose again. And I believe that and I repent. And I follow after you. You're the Lord of my life. Kyrios. 
This jailer knew what it meant to put his allegiance to Caesar. So when they said, make Jesus your Lord, he knew exactly what that meant. He was all in. Go get baptized. So what about you this morning? Have you been made right with God? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Paul says it as eloquently as can be. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's what changes lives. That's what changes the world. That's the answer to all of our problems and our issues. An old pastor told me this at one time. Ryan, you go out and catch them. God be the one that, cl- that, that cleans them. We have a tendency of getting people the way we want them. Let God do that work. Let his spirit, as we go through the next few chapters, watch how God's spirit starts to work in people's lives. There's some of you that sit here week after week after week and you still have not put your faith in the gospel. This morning is a time for salvation. God, I need to be saved. I believe you are the Lord. And I put in my faith in Jesus' faithfulness. Do it this morning. In the quietness of your heart, trust the faithfulness of Jesus. Not only does your eternity depend on it, but the life you live right now. If you're living apart from Jesus, you're not living how God wanted you to live. Let me pray. Praise team, come on up. So Father, your word is so clear that we have to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's not a new message, but we complicate it. We, 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 we want to make this simple this morning. So Father, I pray right now for those in this room that don't know you as their personal Savior and that this morning they'll make that choice. So in their quiet of their heart, I pray that they will acknowledge that you are Lord, that you are their Savior, that you have redeemed them. And from this day forward, they can move with confidence, not because of what they do, but because of what you have done. So God, may that happen this morning in your precious name. Amen.